Welcome back to another week of Behind the Lens as I'm like breaking things sitting here in the studio. Uh, (laughs) I'm Debbie Elias, film critic, creator, and host of Behind the Lens, where we go behind the lens, below the line with the movers, the shakers, the film and TV makers, the producers, the directors, yes, the writers. Uh, (laughs) Got to mention the writers, especially now during the writer's strike. Uh, the actors, the cinematographers, production designers, costume designers, uh, film editors, sound editors, sound mixers, uh, composers, choreographers, even authors. You name it, and we talk to them all. It's lovely to be back in the studio this week. And uh, as our regular listeners, as you know, last week uh, you got a pre-record that I did like at midnight at night. Uh, when I found out that our live guest was not going to be able to call in. Uh, So I stayed home, did another interview, which you're actually going to hear in just a few minutes. Very, very excited about today's show. Joining us at the midpoint of the show live is former NFL Chicago Bears player Freddie Stevenson uh, to talk about not only his book, but a new documentary based on his book, Trials to Triumph. Talk about a journey that Freddie has been on. It is inspirational. Um, There are just so many. It just blows your mind. And along with Freddie, um, in the documentary, there are other notable athletes and an actor who has been very, very vocal about mental health and mental illness and how to build yourself back up. Maurice Bernard is in the, is in the documentary. Um, but you've got other athletes, Delvin Bro, Tony Gaskins, Ryan Green, uh, Terrell Lyons, Nino Torres. And they talk about the low points when they hit rock bottom and how they came back, how they built themselves back and looked within. So it's a really wonderful documentary, and I can't wait to talk with Freddie, who is now, besides a best-selling author, a very well-known motivational speaker. So Freddie's going to join us at the midpoint of the show, and I know that my attorney, sports attorney Brandon, I know he's listening for this because he wanted to hear what Freddie has to say. But first, so thrilled. Bill Holderman, Aaron Sims... If you've been listening to BTL Radio Show for all these years, you know Bill and Aaron. They were here five years ago before Book Club came out. Book Club was an unexpected hit uh, that starred the incredible Jane Fonda. Let's see. Let's get all of this right. Jane Fonda, Candace Bergen, Diane Keaton, Mary Steenburgen, Andy Garcia, Don Johnson, Craig T. Nelson. Everybody loved it. The ARP crowd, my crowd, 
really loved it, but it spanned generations. Uh, and it was just so entertaining. And let's face it, there are a gazillion book clubs out there, folks. Um, so there's something in, that was in that film for everyone. And it was the idea of hope and romance and, and friendship. Uh, and at that time, when Bill and Aaron were on the show, and we had a very lengthy conversation, I said, I want a sequel. I need a sequel. Well, five years later, they gave me my sequel. And I got to speak with them uh, last week and talk about the film. And we pick up um, present day. Time has passed. Five years has gone by. And what I love, and you're going to hear Bill and Aaron and I talk about this, they address the pandemic situation. And the film kicks off with a little five-minute montage of basically it's Zoom of each of the women doing going about their lives during the pandemic and lockdown. And it is so well edited, um, really, really well done. Um, and it just, it sets the tone of energy, lightness, and fun. Andrew Dunn is back as cinematographer. Uh, and I love Andrew's work. He shot Book Club One. He also shot Lady in the Van, The Butler, Downton Abbey Two. Um, and what he gives us is a beautiful, he and Bill together have given us a beautiful travelogue of Italy. Because once the pandemic is over and lockdown is lifted and the girls get to be, to reconnect in person, face to face, well, it turns out one of them, Jane Fonda's character of Vivian, has gotten herself engaged, which sets the girls off on a road trip to Italy for a bachelorette party. And the hijinks are hilarious. The locations that we see in Italy, and not just Rome, but small, the countryside and some smaller towns, absolutely beautiful. It makes you want to grab your passport and get on a plane and go to Italy. But the thing is, you want to have as much fun as these women are having. Um, it's fun. Comedy reigns supreme. Candace Bergen has never been wittier. And to watch her actually going toe-to-toe with the standout supporting player of uh, Giancarlo Giannini is just to die for. Absolutely to die for. So instead of listening to me prattle, let's just go right to the interview. My exclusive interview with Bill Holderman, Aaron Sims, talking about one of my feel-good movies of the year, the easy, breezy, fabulous book club, the next chapter. Bill and Aaron, hello, hello. How are you? I am so happy to get to speak with the two of you again. I so love, because you did the live, the call into my live radio show for the original film. And oh my God, how I love it. And told you then, I need a sequel, I need a sequel. And you delivered. Thank you. We, we wanted it just for you. Uh, <laughs> all for you. Oh, guys, this film is so much fun. It is comedy reigns supreme. It's easy, breezy. 
It's like a mini travelogue of Italy. Andrew Dunn shoots beautifully everywhere in Europe, but Italy, what you guys have captured is stunning. I mean, it makes me want to get a passport and go to Italy. It makes me want to see this movie again as soon as I finished watching it the first time. This is this is just a win-win, guys. Oh, thank you so much. Please go on. Oh, we have no idea how you're making us. It was, <laughs> it was such a labor of love. I mean, we we really set out to make something that that pushed push the franchise further and oh, expanded the world, as Bill has said, and it's just really nice to hear that you loved it. I loved the first one, and I wondered how you could expand the story. And especially given what we've gone through with the pandemic and lockdown in the interim. And boy, oh boy, you guys, right from the get-go, that opening lockdown montage is brilliant. It is cut beautifully. It fills us in on every on time that has passed. We've seen changes in the women, in their careers, Poor Sharon, my spirit animal. <laughs> Her snark has gotten even snarkier. Just, you really, you give us the passage of time. You don't waste exposition on it. Just, and that sets the tone for what comes after. Just beautifully done. And I don't think, I can't think of any films that I've really seen thus far that have really addressed that lockdown issue but for the films that were being shot independently during lockdown with various Zoom techniques. But this right. just perfectly done. Kudos, Bill, kudos. Oh my God. Thank you so much. That means so much to us. It was, yes, we, you know, having all of us collectively living through something that was impossible to ignore, um, we knew we wanted to, to not ignore it. And it was, you know, it's hard to find that balance of like, what do we, how do we want to, how can we use this to our advantage? Um, but I think that experience we all went through and, and interacting the way we were forced to uh, ended up being one of the great sort of blessings in terms of the storytelling because it really set our characters up on their journey. Yeah, and it, it affected, first of all, I, I really do love the Zoom sequence as well. You know, it was trying to find that balance of let's not bring us into the really dark and depressing part of it that we know we all experienced, but there was a lot of comedy in how our lives got changed so drastically. Um, and then the pandemic informed the whole movie. It made the, the sense of urgency of getting back together, of being, having the luxury of travel that we that was taken away from us having the luxury of leaving your home and having new experiences it just everything was so much more important uh after the pandemic but what you also succeeded in doing is you showed us that these women did not stagnate even though they couldn't get together in person they did not stagnate each was getting involved in other things Granted, poor Carol had to close her restaurant down. Sharon, you know, had to retire from the bench. Vivian is Vivian and will always be Vivian. <laughs> Diane is Diane. 
But they didn't stagnate. They still kept getting together for book club. And you saw them doing other activities, working out at home, moving the furniture around in the house. And I think a lot of people had the impression that women of a certain age, those of us in the ARP crowd, it's like we didn't do anything. We sat there and languished. And you showed us that is the exact opposite of what that did for these women and therefore probably for all the women out there watching the film. And I love that. Yeah, thank you so much. Yeah, we, I think for a lot of people, you know, it was, it was, there was so much time and so many things that it forced people to sort of reevaluate certain things, take on, try new hobbies. Everyone was making sourdough. I mean, you know, it, it, it was part of, like, we were all, we were all in it together in a way and, and occupying ourselves in new ways. And I think it's, it's a testament to who these characters are that they, this is how they would be in a pandemic. They wouldn't stagnate. They wouldn't, you know, they would continue to, to try to flourish within the new parameters that we were all forced to live in. And of course, they- we were all, sorry, I just gonna say we were all tested. I think we probably all got to know each other, our, ourselves a lot better because who are you when there's absolutely nowhere to go? And, a, and there's no distractions and you have to really sit with yourself and that's, that's not always easy. And what I also loved is they were still getting up and taking a shower and doing their hair and putting makeup on. So, <laughs> were you? I was. No. <laughs> I mean, I, I. They did not get on those Zoom calls with each other unless they looked proper and decent and alive. So, <laughs> I, it's not. I told. I mean, I don't like the Zooms. I'm like, you know, you gotta, you gotta keep up appearances here. The aspirational element of the book club franchise. I don't know what to say. It's they. Yeah. <laughs> decided to sit down and write this what ideas did you have what led you on this journey to Italy obviously we were going to have more there had to be romantic entanglements and I'll get into that in a minute because what you did here I just so love with the romance aspect but there were so many options that you had you had the coupling up you had Sharon coupling with whomever and went through a long dry spell of a few years there, obviously. So how did you decide where to take this and to go abroad? Obviously travel so we could all experience travel again. But what were your considerations in giving us this Vivian Gets Married story? And we're going, going to give her a bachelorette party. The so the idea for Italy actually happened before the first movie came out. There was on the flight to CinemaCon, Aaron, Jane, Candace, and Mary were on a flight <clears throat> flying in a very fancy private plane um, <laughs> to Vegas. And this is before we knew the first movie was going to be a success. This was before we knew that there was even going to be an opportunity for a sequel. But they had such a good time making the first movie that on that flight, and it's not a long flight, they decided there's going to be a sequel, and it has to be in Italy. And so when they landed... They got a thing at Samore, which we didn't do, but 
But then that they had to have a scene where they wanted to run but couldn't, so they decided to walk. Yeah. <laughs> so those those were like the foundational elements. So before anything, we knew it had to be Italy because that's what the the women had decided for us. Um, and so then when the movie performed, the first movie did well, and the idea of a sequel became more real, <clears throat> we decided to just try to figure out how can we make Italy a reality? And it felt, to, to be totally honest, it felt like an impossible task because it was like, how, well, how can you do that without it feeling, you know, forced and, and just that we wanted to go to Italy to shoot? Um, <laughs> And so, and then it was, you know, look, the movie's based around a book club, and and Fifty Shades was such a driver of the first movie and the concept that we were we were really like wrestling with how do we how do we do a sequel that does justice to what we feel we accomplished with the first movie and can expand that world and can continue to you know honor the truth of these characters and and their sophistication and and what the book club has been for as many years as they've all been in this book club so we wanted to do a book that felt a little more um had a little more sort of like significance and the themes of the alchemist were just so powerful to us that it was the first book that we really um started to think about the sequel in a real way we wrote the treatment around the alchemist and around you know this story of these this group going to Italy and then development went the way development goes and we were you know we were asked to try some different books maybe some books that were more contemporary or more sexy and and the truth is like we just we couldn't shake it we went back to the foundation and we did whole other drafts of other books and yeah. we just didn't believe in it at all and this the theme you know of the alchemist and and what it means for their lives and and um and for all of us to continue to to know that we're in control of our lives and we can we can drive the direction that we're going um in our lives it, it was really it was it was too much to pass up so we that that was the foundation so we knew we had italy then we had the alchemist um, we got to go to Scout Italy, which was amazing, and that continued to inform, you know, the journey and some of the fun things that happen when you travel uh, in that type of country and, and all the things that you see, all the richness of that, of that country and the food and the wine and the, just the architecture. Um, and it kind of, you know, and, and we have these characters that we were absolutely in love with and wanted to continue to figure out what are their relationships, you know, what, what is... Even though the first movie wrapped them up neatly, where would they be uh, oh, as, as they moved into the next sort of, pardon the pun, but into the next chapter of their lives? Mm -hmm. Where would they be? And what's the truth of that? And I think, you know, the pandemic also informed a lot of people about their relationships. It forced people into different different dynamics that they wouldn't have been like Vivian and Arthur would not have been in that dynamic if there wasn't a pandemic mm -hmm. and I think it's fun to use the truth of what we were all experiencing and and let that also sort of inform you know an authentic version for these characters and their relationships so that was that's I don't know if that even answered your question, but that was how it came to be, and that's how we got to well, we also, I, I'll just say that we learned a lot about ourselves as writers and as partners in this that we we're we're all message even though we're making comedies that are hopefully entertaining and you know 
crowd pleasing for us the heart of the movie is the message from the alchemist it's the thing that kept us going back when we couldn't figure things out it's the thing it's the thing that wakes us up in the morning and so you know gets us going and 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 pushing through really hard times of writing a script because writing scripts really hard <laughs> yes <laughs> um, yeah but now this begs a big question once you get this, you get the script done, you get this figured out, you're definitely going to Italy. Logistics come into play, especially with the pandemic protocols for filming. Did that present, give you any kind of hesitation, trepidation, or how the hell are we going to do this yeah, overseas? All of that, we definitely, and we were actually going to go make this movie, um, a year earlier and then there was talk of making it almost entirely in Los Angeles and just doing like a one week in Italy um, and thank goodness that didn't happen but at the time when it fell apart because of what you're saying you know the logistics of this type of movie are they're challenging at baseline when you add a global pandemic on top of that and then you know the surges that were happening and all of the the added elements that you have to deal with, which is, you know, it changes your insurance. It changes what your onset day is. It changes, like, to, to have to run every crew member through, you know, a morning protocol. Um, so two tests every morning. Well, yeah, like, it, that adds a whole extra layer of... Uh, and knowing throughout the shoot every day, like, is someone going to test positive? Are they going to... Are we going to shut down? You had that the entire production, the fear... God forbid one of these women gets sick. You know, it was just... But also the crew. I mean, look, we, you know, there, like, every production that was up during this period of time, like, we were no different. Like, you had positive thing, you know, you had people that positive, you had to change, you had to change crew in the middle of the day. It was wild. It was just a wild experience. Like, people would just disappear would be like, where's the guy that's sitting in that, you know, in that scene? He's like, oh, he just tested positive. He's gone. But that... That's like in one category was like incredibly challenging, but then to sort of take this group and go to a foreign country and go try to, you know, I mean, there's a lot of logistics when you're shooting in on in very public places in uh, in a very popular city. Mm-hmm. Rome is a very popular city, and we were shooting in very public places. The Spanish Steps, you know, to shoot in the Spanish Steps and be able to sort of control that for just even, you know, the couple hours that we were able to control it was like, that's a huge feat no, in production. vicious endeavor, we realized once we got this. And I was genuinely holding my breath, so scared every single day until we actually got on the plane and the women got on the plane and everybody landed it in place. Like, I, it was hard to believe it was really going to work out. I do think, I do think we wrote some things that we were like, we had no idea how we were going to execute. And then even when we got there, we were still like, I still don't know how we're going to pull this off. I would say, you know, the the whole helicopter sequence, the whole sort of Venice Canal, you know, Candace in a boat in the middle of the Grand Canal. (laughs) for the women. You know, yeah, the side of the road, the Tuscan road. It's like, those were, those were, those are ambitious at, at, without the pandemic but when you add that it's like a whole other layer it was you know it was, but it was certainly just, fun challenges 
so inspiring. I, mean, I, I remember on our, you know, our overnighter where they're stranded on the side of the road. I had like thir- three jackets on, two hats. That was yeah. amazing. And the women were like, like Mary is in a tank top at three, four in the morning, and they're just la- they're just doing the work, not complaining. Like in the moment, and it made me really think about myself and like my own. Like, I need to toughen up. They're all super, they're incredible. They're, they literally, they are superhuman. They are superstars. And they, you know, they're the reason the, that those equal exists on every level because it's like, you know, they're really... They're, they're showing up. They're, they're taking chances every day of the life. Yeah, and their friendship is very, it's real. It's yeah. on and off screen. And it's, it's the reason why we got to have this experience. And of course, all of that impacts your bottom line budget as well. So oh, yeah. that, which is uh, what totally surprises me, is this screams mega, 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 mega budget. It is so beautifully done. And I know how much more you had to factor into a budget in order to overcome all of these logistical issues that location shooting number one, but then the various outlying areas you shot, as well as the pandemic protocols. So, I mean, I just, this was Herculean, guys. Herculean, and you pulled it off. Thank you, thank you. you. Yeah, I mean, we were really, I will say, we were blessed with a uh, production team and particularly the Italian, our Italian crew was so just mind-blowingly great at their jobs and so mind-blowingly passionate about film and so relaxed yeah and very like really understood the way that Aaron and I like to work which was you know we do not we're we do not like a stressful set we 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 do a lot of planning so that things can be calm in the day um and they really got behind that but we just they were able to pull absolute miracles our production designer costume designer um Enzo Sissi, our line producer from Italy, was just, I mean, they were pulling absolute sort of like, yeah, cinema rabbits out of their hats. And our first AD, MC, was, they're just, they were, it was one of those experiences that you just, without all of those people doing all of the magic tricks, you know, you wouldn't be, we wouldn't be talking to you. Yeah, and you, you know, we've been saying it a lot. We have the best crew, the most incredible people, and all that's true. But as still speaking, I don't think we, I think we underestimate how their specific way of seeing work and the way of living life and the way they approach their job had a hand. I think we underestimate how much of a hand it had in the success of this movie because they, nobody was hanging around with that, like, what time are we going to wrap? Like, this sucks. There was, they love what they do. They're passionate about it. They're, ar- they're artists, artisans. They, they're excited to be there. They wanted to support us. And and it, it just was, they were such a breath of fresh air. I mean, we were devastated that we had to leave. <laughs> we said a lot. They're all like lifelong friends, you know? Well, another bre- a breath of fresh air that you guys also brought here is you really upped the ante with your supporting players this go-round. Wow, you bring in Hugh Quarshi, Giancarlo Giannini steals the show, steals the show. And the way you've got that dynamic between Giancarlo and Candace, it's all, it's a foreplay almost, the way they play yeah. it out. 
just brilliant. And of course, Vincent Riotta as Gianni, the 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 chef. Just these three guys just are superstars in this film, and I love that you really elevated these supporting players in this structure and in the adventures of the women. So well done. Thank, Thank you. you. I will say it was a real blessing to have that caliber of actor come in um, with all three of those guys and just absolutely like own their roles, do such brilliant work. The chemistry, it, oh, God, it was so... It was so fun to watch, truthfully. Like, it really was. It was. It was and really let fun. me tell you about looking Giannini in the eye. It's like, I'm not joking, it's like laser beams are coming out. Like, you, I couldn't hold his stare. I had, if he, he's so powerful, <laughs> just something coming out of that man. It's unbelievable. And Vincent Riotta was just like, first of all, to say that he was incredible, and he was so happy to be there. He was so happy to be a part of the movie. And the same thing with Hugh Corshi. And that means so much to us. It isn't just them coming in for a job. They were, they really were excited to join our uh, book club, Cinematic Universe. And they added <laughs> such great elements to the story. I mean, with Mary and Vincent as they're <laughs> either needing pasta or bread dough, I was roaring. I was fell off of my chair. I was laughing so hard at that. And the way that, that you have that cut bill interspersing it with other, not just them, but cutting back and forth between, yeah. you know, the other events that are happening that evening, like on a boat. It's hilarious. Absolutely hilarious. Thank you. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. I will say, like, even the Italian actors that we were able to cast locally. Oh, that's um, so good. It, what a treat. It, I mean, the Pasquale character, he's so much fun to work with these guys. Even the, the violinist, you know, you cast, mm -hmm. you cast a quartet to play, which we won't say where, and that girl, like, she steals. Yeah, she's hilarious. She's hysterical. Oh, absolutely. I, it's like, okay, start, stop. And the look on her face is just priceless, priceless. Something that you did that surprised me that a lot of filmmakers and storytellers probably wouldn't do is you made our three main guys, Andy Garcia, Don Johnson, and Craig T. Nelson as Mitchell, Arthur, and Bruce, they are the romantic guys. These are the guys... A lot of women may not admit it, but boy, oh boy, deep down, that's what you really want, are guys who have that streak of romance in them. And these three really brought it to the table in this film. That's where the romance comes in, and it's orchestrated by the three of them, and it just soars, absolutely soars. Oh, thank you so much. I mean, yeah, it you know, it's tricky because we didn't have, they're not in the movie a ton. No. Right? I mean, they have them at the beginning, we have them at the end, which which made the time that they are there even that much more important uh, to make sure that you're feeling that presence, you're feeling their presence in their, the women's lives. And, and you, without much screen time, you need to be able to execute 
big romantic moments that still feel real and fresh and you know a testament to those actors i mean all of them when they are on screen they're they're movie stars for a reason they are they're so gifted and talented and and with just you know a look or a great delivery of a line i mean they it's it speaks volumes and it's uh it was it's part of the fun of these movies but also i think what you're saying is it's What's nice is to see male characters that actually love and adore their partners yeah. and feel lucky to be with them. And if you know, somebody said the other day, it's like, oh, you made the men a book club, like like the women in a movie. And I was like, that's really interesting because it is usually the woman who, you know, the man is with it and the woman sort of, you know, fascinated to be with him. But that I, I like that we, that's not how we see it. And, and to, I have to give a lot of that to Bill because he is actually, you know, hate me for saying it, but he's a romantic person. Aww. He's a person that thinks of things that you're like, how did you think of that? Like, you're you're thinking of me when I'm not around. You're, you're, you're trying to make me happy. And so I know that it's real. And I think that's why we have those characters in our movie because we do think there's men like that out there. And I think Andy's like that in his marriage as is Craig T. Nelson, as is Don Johnson. And we were just reading his article in Parade. He's, you know, he, he loves and adores his wife and thinks she's incredible. And yeah, those are the men of our movie. I have to ask you, Bill, about because the visuals are such a big part of this, your visual tonal bandwidth is so light and bright, showcasing everything. You and Andrew, you went with a lot of wide shots here, which I totally appreciate because we really got to feel we were on this journey and in Italy with the women. So I'm curious about your thoughts, you and Andrew, how you designed the visual grammar for this one. Uh, Well, yes, very true and astute and thank you. I think one of the things that we talked about very early on was um, because we were starting in the pandemic and we were starting so claustrophobically and we're starting you know within the box of the zoom sequences Mm -hmm. and we break that rule so once we entered the zoom world we didn't exit it uh until we got to the first book club scene and then one of the things that andrew and i talked about was when we would start to use more crane shots more and we really wanted to try to preserve those for when we got to italy and when the world for the women opened up and so that that broadening, that going from you know a very small screen and a very claustrophobic sort of uh, isolated life that we all were existed that we all existed in during the pandemic, to that very big, beautiful, bright, wide world of travel and what we all experience when we do travel, which is you know your eyes, you when you're in a new environment, you're heads on a swivel and you're taking in the world and we wanted the camera to to also sort of be taking in that world and so that on one level on sort of an academic level that was that was part of the the design of the movie to really just let it open up but also you know i think for us we have four main characters and there's an element to these movies where on a very logistical level it's like we have four main characters i personally uh, am a hugely strong advocate that comedy plays better wide, 
Um, I think it's really fun. We have incredible physically gifted actors who know how to use their full bodies. And I think you take advantage of that skill of your actors when you let them exist in a frame together. And, and Andrew and I, we talked about it a lot. And, you know, it's a challenge because we're shooting in environments that sometimes you can't control everything that you want to control. Um, and it puts pressure on, you know, the lighting department, but it's really fun uh, for us to, to see them all in a frame together. And that was part of the joy of this movie. It was just, it was four best friends on the road together and everything we could do to make that journey feel like we were part of that, um, we, we try to do. So yes, we really did. Uh, work hard to, to, and I personally, it's like, I just like it. I, li I like being wide. I think that, you know, I like feeling the environment. I like feeling the truth of that. And I think when you have actors as good as these, you don't have to jam in to get their emotion. Like you can, they exude it and cause they're, they're doing it completely. And it's not just, you know, it's not just a camera trick that makes it feel like they're um, authentically loving whoever they're opposite with or mad at whoever they're opposite with or, or whatever the emotion is. Like you can feel it, um, you can feel it with the camera slightly step back. So it's, it was, I don't know, it was, it was definitely part of our plan and I'm so happy that, that it, you know, for you that it really worked and I hope it works for everyone because it's, it's also really nice to see Italy, I must say. Oh, yeah. yeah. I told you, I'm ready. Guys, this has been so wonderful getting to talk with you again. I hope we do this again, maybe with uh, a third film. Maybe, maybe. Well, it's been You've an absolute the first time in a while. Yeah, yeah. I really... Tell your friends to come to the movie. Yeah. So we can make it happen. When I like a movie, I tell everybody to go see the film. It will be my talking point at the local bar again. So, <laughs> guys, thank you. Thank you so much. A joy. Thanks, guys. And that was Bill Holderman, Aaron Sims, talking about Book Club, the next chapter, this Friday in theaters. See it, see it, see it. You'll have so much fun. And I'll have more about Book Club, the next chapter, on BehindTheLensOnline.net later this week. But right now, I'm very excited to have this wonderful young man join us today. Freddie Stevenson, welcome. Hey, thank you for having me. I am so excited. I knew nothing about your story, Freddie, other than the fact that you had been signed by the Chicago Bears. Um, that was the extent of what I knew about you until I saw this documentary. Wow. What a journey you have been on. Um, talk about inspirational, uplifting, encouraging. I finished watching this documentary and it's like, damn. Damn. With everything that Freddie has gone through for him to now come out on the other side, if he can do it, other people can do it too. Congratulations, Freddie. Just 
an amazing journey you've been on. Thank you, thank you. Yeah, it's been it's definitely been a journey, you know, through a lot of ups and downs and I'm just glad to be able to share my story. Well man. Well, what's, no matter what you're facing, I'm well, and it's not just you. It's you get some of your some of your other friends, some other sports colleagues in here. Uh, Maurice Bernard comes on board with this documentary, and Mar- Maurice has been very, very outspoken for decades about mental illness and bipolar and challenging yourself and coming out. You know how to succeed, how to build yourself up. So to hear all of these different stories and the turning points for each of you was really incredible. Now, because I haven't read the book, I haven't read your book yet, but now I have to go buy the book. Now that I've seen your documentary, I have to read your book, Freddie. I'm real I'm curious in your book, is it just your story or do you bring in some of your other sports colleagues and their stories? Yeah, my book is just my story. It's my story only. I'm only telling my story in the book. Well, your story, actually, you didn't need anybody else in the documentary. I'm just saying that. Greg and Dan, (laughs) directors and writers, didn't need anybody else. Just you would have been fine, Freddie. Um, But the thing that really strikes me, and one reason I'm not surprised that you have come out on the other side uh, and come up from hitting rock bottom, is your mom. Number one, I have to tell you, your mom steals the whole documentary. I just want you to know that. Your mom, <laughs> she's a force of nature. <laughs> she's definitely special. Uh, and the story, the McDonald's story about the dollar and five cents for the cheeseburger, that just, I mean, just grabbed my heart. And anybody that watches this documentary, if they are not already drawn in, when they hear that story, there's no way they're not going to finish watching this documentary. Um, Because the strength that your mom had, and it's clear to see you got a lot of that strength from her that you now have. Without a doubt. Without a doubt. You know, what, now I know as, as you go back through and, you know, you, we go all the way back to your childhood and you had a very rough time there. Uh, your dad, he screwed up a little bit, landed in jail for a little bit. So in your for, very young formative years, your dad wasn't around, but you had something that was, and that was football. And to listen to your mom and even your dad talk about you and your football that you got as a present um, just warms the heart and I think it's so important and it was obviously very important in your life because it was a driving force for many 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 years how do you going through life were you so confident that Hold that getting that football as a kid. Were you confident? Did you know that's where I'm headed? I am gonna play football. Yeah, um, early on they, they put me in sports, and I think it was early in my my pop Warner career. We were playing a team that hadn't lost in like eight years. They um 
traveled all over the world um, in different tournaments and winning, and nobody had beat him in eight years. And I just remember, I believe this is like the, the first or second year I'm playing tackle football, and I scored four touchdowns on them, <laughs> and we gave them, my, gave them their first loss in eight years. And that's when I kind of realized that I could actually be special in that sport and um, just was thankful to my parents. They always, you know, told me told me about their beliefs in me, and, you know, I just wanted to make them proud. Well, I think you've done more than make them proud over the years, Freddie. But, you know, I found that really interesting. And you also talk in there, and your parents talk about this, about you were so good that in the in Pop Warner, and I've seen this happen countless times over the years with those sports parents uh, and the sports parents who are also coaching and they want to showcase their kid instead of, the kid that is really the one helping the team and holding the team together. Did that ever, how did that affect you? That make you try harder? Did it make you ever want to give up even at that young age? Yeah. I mean, it was a combination of both. Um, I kind of, you know, got discouraged and, you know, at one point I didn't want to play football anymore. They kind of stripped away my love for the game. You you know, you start to question yourself and question if, if you're even good enough. Um, but then it's the side of me that, you know, wanted to prove them prove them wrong as well. Whenever I got those opportunities, like, it was crazy because all of my opportunities, most of my opportunities at, at that level came by accident. Like, it was were situations where they were trying to put me in a, a different position, play me at a different position so that I couldn't get in the way of their kids shining. And then somehow, like, when they switched me to um, a cornerback or safety, linebacker, supposed to be playing running back, receiver, different things, I would still end up finding a way to get the ball in my hands and making a play to where, you know, the team ends up winning the game. So even though they were trying to hinder me and limit limit my success, I still found out ways to be successful on the field. Well, and, it's, and you know, as your life progressed, it's that determination, finding a way to succeed. I think that having that in you at a young age, in your later years after things turned bad for you, I think you you dug deep down and that came back. You found that resilience again um, to climb out of where you were after you left uh, after you were cut by the Bears. Is that a fair fair assessment? Yeah, without without a doubt, it was definitely I one of the you know one of the darkest times of my life because you know football had became come wrapped up into my identity. That's who I, I thought of myself as a person. Like, outside of football, I didn't know who, my, who I was as a person. I didn't know what my identity was. So, you know, just trying to go through that transition and figure out what my purpose was and who I was, it was tough. But, you know, I ultimately had to go through those dark places to, to walk into my purpose. So, you know, I wouldn't change a thing. It was tough. And, you know, that's ultimately why I wrote the book, to help people out, you know, specifically athletes, and their um their journey their transition and then it ended up becoming something bigger and impacting people well outside the world of sports and I didn't you know imagine it becoming this big when I first told my story. Well, now when you were right, what was your process? Because I know in listening in watching the documentary, and your fiance, have you married her yet? By the way, we we get married next year in March. Okay, all right. I just want to check. She's stuck with you all these years for, what, 12 years now, 11 years? Yeah, 12 years now. Well, and, but you did really good with the ring. The ring is really gorgeous. I just want you to know that. 
Um, thank you, thank you. <laughs> it, you know, there was no way she was going to tell you no when you pulled that ring out and surprised her with it. But all right, as long as I know, the wedding's coming next year. Good to know. Um, but, you know, as I'm watching, it was really Daisia who encouraged you to write your thoughts down. You hadn't thought about writing down some of the things you were feeling, had you? No, it was just, I, you know, a lot of things caught me off guard and I wasn't really, you know, sure which direction to go in. And she she truly believed that everything I was going through was for a reason and that, you know, um, I was ultimately supposed to be doing something else. So she, yeah, she was the one that gave me that idea of telling my story. And what was, did you write something every day? Did you just make scribble notes? What was your process like? Um, it kind of, you know, it changed throughout the process, to be honest. I started off, you know, every single day I was writing something, and then I kind of hit a wall for a while. And she was also the person that came in then and was like, man, if you're going to finish this book, you got you got to do it now. Not, don't put too much pressure on yourself every day to try to finish it all in one day. And that's ultimately, you know, why I hit that wall. Um, so like, just, you know, take your time and, and, you know, what you need to do. But every single week you need to take steps and set a plan so that you get this book done. Because if you don't finish this book now, there are so many people that said they're going to write books. And so, so you got to get it done now. She really, be, from, between your mom and Dacia, I mean... You got two very strong women in your corner, young man. Uh, <laughs> they are really, really supportive of you. How long did it take you to write everything for the book before you decided it was ready to be published or go to a publisher? Um, I believe I was just writing for about three, three months or so. And then I was just, you know, I was new to the process, so I didn't really know how to get it published or anything. So I reached out to one of my mentors. He had just um, released the book. And then he pointed me to the person that published his book and did the editing and everything. And they edited it. I believe I, I finished the book in, like, June of 20, 2019. And then they edited it, and then we had it all published by December of that year so. You know, it took me three years, three months to write it, and then the editing process um, took a little took a little bit longer, like six months, just because they were a teacher full time as well. Mm-hmm. So now, when did the whole documentary thing, how did that happen? You've got this book. It is a bestseller. You know, when did, were you approached about making a doc, about turning it into a documentary? Yeah, so my book became a bestseller in, what was it, 2021. And mm-hmm. I was approached by a guy from, that was working with Netflix. And it's ironic because I was doing the back-to-school bash that year. And it turns out the guy was, you know, he does a lot of different things in his community. So somebody pointed me in his direction to get backpacks for the um, back-to-school um, bash. And one thing led to another. He ended up finding out about my story and then... He wanted to tell my story on the platform and we were meeting for like we we're meeting every single week um having phone calls i was going back and forth to meet with him but then it, we never ended up getting you know the, the the deal finalized and then i believe a few months later um a guy that was working with warner brothers he reached out and said he wanted to turn it into a documentary 
and he was trying to branch out and do his own thing. So that, those were the people I ultimately signed to deal with at the end of 2021, and that's how we that's how we got here. In 2022, we released it independently, and at the end of 2022, we got interest from um, Gravitas Ventures, and they 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 picked it up for worldwide distribution at the beginning of this year. Wow. Now, how involved were you with the documentary? Because these additional individuals, you know, th- their stories are also included. Um, but the the bulk of the documentary is you, you and your story. Were you involved, uh, especially with Greg and Dan, uh, in putting this together? Yeah, I'm the one that put the whole entire cast together. Like, just, um, Really? Yeah, I put it all together as far as the cast. Um, each person I said in the, the documentary, I've, I've built relationships with over you know, over time. Wow. Wow. I had no idea. That's incredible. Did they have any kind of hesitation about telling their stories? Um, no. Um, the guy, Delvin Bro, you see in the film, who has a powerful, powerful story. He's been, you know, trying to, he's wrote, written a best-selling book as well. And he's been looking at opportunities to try to get his story told. And it's surprising to me because when people hear his story, and I know years ago there was a buzz about people trying to turn it into a feature film, but it never materialized. And we connected years back, and I told him if I ever had the opportunity to, to um, work with him, I would love to. And so he was all for it. Um, Maurice, I met two years ago. He brought me on his podcast, and he just fell in love with fell in love with my story and we've been good friends since then and he he was excited to just share his story and help me out in any way um tony gaskins as well he was excited to help me out in any way and, and of course everybody else um they've been they are family and friends that i've known you know most of my life so they had no issue with it okay their biggest thing um for most of them was um feeling like their story won't bring as much value because they don't have the, the platforms that everybody else has and i'm like Nah, your story's going to make a huge difference. Just be you. I mean, we've got somebody who turns his life around when he saves his young nephew from drowning. Um, and he still questions himself and isn't sure that what he did really made a difference. And things like that. The, everybody is so humble, but also so honest, including yourself, about where you screwed up where things have gone wrong, um, you know, constant injuries. You haven't set, people haven't set foot on a playing field, and yet they're getting offers. Um, you know, that could go very easily just go to your head, or it could still make you question, i got to, you know, get up. I've got to work out. I have to get back in fighting form. So there are so many aspects to everybody's story. Um, I, you were so right in encouraging them. Um, because it, everybody has something to say of value that can impact the lives of everybody that sees this documentary. That's what's really important, I think. Uh, I really think that's what's really important, Freddie, is that everything that everyone says is something that all of us can relate to in one respect or another. Yeah, that was my that was my goal with the you know the project. Just you know, true. I truly believe, like like you said, um, no matter who watches this film, they'll be able to sit down and, and pick out one person, if not multiple people, 
that they can relate to and that can make a direct impact on their life and, and see a situation that maybe they're dealing with or maybe they dealt with in the past and find motivation in that story. So that's something that we want we wanted to do. We wanted to provide different trials and trials stories from all different angles and um we we just we just pray that you know it it, it works out that way to the, to where the world um, recepts it the way that we believe we believe it'll be receptive and we truly believe it's gonna happen. Well, now a question for you: with this coming out at this point in time, with Gravitas releasing the film just came out on all the digital platforms, uh, actually last week on May second. Do you think now is a perfect time? Because a lot of people were adversely affected during the pandemic and the lockdown, and they're still unsure of their footing in dealing with life. Do you see this as something that they can, they can gain inspiration and encouragement from to help them put one foot in front of the other after being away from people, away from the world for so long? Yes, I, I definitely do. Um, just you know, and it kind of the vision kind of started with, with my book. I didn't I didn't know at the time you know how it was going to go on to impact people, but I just remember the year that the book became a bestseller. People that people were reaching out that weren't even sports fans, saying how you know they had been struggling since the pandemic started. People were you know reaching out to me saying how I saved their lives. They were planning on committing suicide. And you fast forward to, to now, some people still haven't recovered mentally, you know, um, since that since the pandemic. And we're still a, a lot of us are still adjusted to the world that you know lies lies in front of us today. And I truly believe that you know this film is going to help impact lives and you know change change a lot of people's perspectives and motivate them and, and inspire them going forward. Now I'm curious for you because you've walked away from football. Um, and you now have this whole new world that is opened up to you. Are there lessons that you learned over the years with football that you implement as you walk through this new world of yours as a motivational speaker and an author? I say um, one one lesson that I've learned, you know, a lot, and I continue having to learn this lesson because it's it's it's, it's human nature for those doubts to creep in. But I say the biggest one is never to underestimate yourself. Um, I just remember in, in high school and just coming up, everybody telling me, you know, because of the environment that I came from, it wasn't, you know, I wasn't going to go to college. And when I broke my leg, and doctors told me that I'd never play again, and then I go on and get offered by all these schools all these college schools on full-ride scholarships, and then I win a national championship. And, you know, I played in the NFL. And then after my career came to an end, um, a lot of people were uh, counting me out, thinking that it was over for me. And then, we, you know, I reinvented myself again. And, you know, throughout that process, you kind of, you know, you kind of doubt yourself and you wonder if things are going to be successful, if you'll be successful in these new lanes. And then every single time it's like you you find a way to figure those things out. So one thing, you know, not just me, I want, you know, people that watch this film to see is, you know, not underestimating yourself and trust and trusting trust in the work that you put in. Trust your training and and understanding that everything that you prepare for um has you ready for this moment. And a lot of times in life we'll 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 doubt ourselves in these these situations when we're prepared for everything that's coming, even when it may look like 
everything's going wrong. It's just a test, and we we ultimately overcome that. So uh, one thing I'd say that I learned from football is just playing on the field and seeing all the obstacles you can come across in any any different game. And now learning it constantly over and over again throughout this filming process is never to underestimate yourself. <laughs> and I hope that a lot of people see that played out on the film. So do you miss football? Or have you totally embraced this new world, this new life you have? I say yes and no. So um, I miss it, you know, just it's something that you grew up, you know, doing your whole entire life. So the competitive side of me loves, you know, competing and, you know, just being on the field, playing, playing the game that you grew up loving. But then once, you know, you find out what you're truly meant to be doing, it's like, all right, I'm not, you know, I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. It's just... Now it's in, you know, in a different way. I don't get to, you know, put on the pads every day, you know, um, hit guys and things like that. I, I got to make an impact in a different way. So um, I miss it on one side and then on, on the other side, I, it's like, no, nah, I don't have any interest in ever playing again. So yeah, you kind of got 50-50. <laughs> so now you have the book is out. The documentary is now out. And you do motivational speaking. What else are you doing to occupy your time besides raising that adorable little girl of yours? Well, I'm, t- I'm trying to get my mind prepared because this month we're actually having our second our second um, daughter. Oh, my I'm gosh. my mind prepared for that. Yeah. <laughs> and it was my daughter's birthday yesterday, so we um, enjoyed that with her. So I'm um, just trying to, you know, get myself prepared for that and, you know, ultimately right now, you know, I do a lot of different things in the community, you know, to give back. And now, you know, I'm, I'm in full promotion mode. Like, I know you asked if I miss football. Like, I enjoy this process, you know, especially now that <laughs> I understand, you know, how many people out there that are struggling and, and, and need stories like this to be heard. It's like, and now to me, for me to be walking in my purpose and know that my story can make an impact, I'm, I'm, I'm grinding. Like, I know it's only a matter of time before our story, you know, impacts the world. So, I'm locked. I'm locked and loaded. The whole entire cast are locked in. They're like, man, if anything that you need us to do, we'll do it. And we truly believe this story can impact the world. So right now, we're locked in on getting it out to the world as much as possible. Well, now, uh, you know, do you see yourself writing another book? Oh yeah, definitely down the, down the line. It's a, I've talked about it, you know, for the past few years and just. Um, the, the time it has to be right. Like when I wanted to write one a few years ago, that's when my other book, um, my, my original book, just it just took off and took a life of its own. It was like, all right, I kind of would have messed it up again if I wrote a book, <laughs> another book during that time. So it was just figuring out when the time the timing is right um, to release the, release the book. I've already got you know different different um, words I put on paper for different for different books. I was just figuring out um, the timing and when things would make sense to, to put out another book. And um, I wouldn't be against creating another documentary, helping tell other stories. And that's that's what I'm thinking because you know, walking in your shoes, uh, Freddie, you ex- are experiencing so much, and you're seeing things through fresh eyes now. With each step that you are taking in your life, you've got a new point of view a new perspective that you're seeing things and now as a dad to not just one daughter which all the boys out there in 16 years or whatever look out you know it's like they're gonna have to deal with you 
<laughs> when they want to go out with your girls. Um, <laughs> you know, I could see this has to also change how you see things. You have your one daughter. You're getting ready for your second daughter. Um, that has to give you a whole other perspective on how you overcome obstacles. Because girls are not easy. Freddie, girls are not easy. I'm telling you. Um, the older they get, the less easy they are, too. So <laughs> keep that in mind. But I could see you writing books about that, about fatherhood. And overcoming the hurdles of that. Um, there's so many avenues for you. I think it's fantastic. I'm I'm definitely excited about it and that, um just kind of what I was telling you like one thing you know I embraced uh, embraced the journey and I I truly believe you know like you said there there are a lot of different things that I'll be able to to tap into with this new platform that's been you know that's been created you know that's that's here um and you know I, I embrace it all I'm I'm excited about it all and you know I'm just taking it taking it day by day um i can see all of that in the above above happening because i've seen you know things play themselves out i wouldn't have told you years ago that i'd be out here you know writing books and you know creating documentary films and now we're doing it and we're we're not only doing it like we're i'm just as passionate about this as i was with football so um just seeing everything play itself out yeah they're the sky's the limit, so we're definitely excited about what lies ahead. So I've got to ask you, Freddie, through this process of the book, its success, and now the documentary, which I'm sure is going to be a success, um, what have you learned about yourself? I'd say the outside of, you know, just understanding reminding myself each and every day, like no matter what lies ahead, I can overcome those, those situations. It's just one of the, one of the biggest things, and this doesn't really, that isn't really tied to me is the people around me, just the people, you know, throughout this process, like with the book, when I released the book, um, I released it independently and I didn't, you know, I didn't have a major team behind me, but it was just some people that, you know, found out about my story and they treated it as if it was their own. And same thing with this documentary. There have been people, you know, just pushing my, my film as if it, it was their own and just understanding the the support group of people that I that I have around me. And, you know, that's one thing that I'd say is, is definitely, definitely a blessing. So um, I, I don't know. It's, it's kind of, you know, just probably goes back to what you said my mother the way that she she raised me to always you know do right by people and you know be a man of high character high integrity so that whenever projects like this come out or whenever i ask someone for a favor they jump out and you know they're willing to help and however they can and they always do way more than i ask so um that's that's one thing you know i've i've learned about during this process is, you know, the the type of reputation I've been able to, to build just from doing right by people. And for anybody that's out there listening, I know you may be seeing people that, you know, get opportunities when they don't necessarily deserve it. They may not do right by others and they still get opportunities, still, still do right by people. Like, because 
it always pays itself forward and it always comes back in the end. It may not look like it, but I promise it will. Like I've seen it so many times, just about the system um, doing good people wrong. And then the ones that, you know, cheated the system their whole lives later on, it backfires on them. So if you're out there listening, just continue to do right by people, continue doing things the right way, continue grinding and, and don't get discouraged. Cause I promise you at some point in life, you're going to get that good, that big break. Oh, wow. The, now, see, that's so encouraging. You made me feel better, Freddie. <laughs> Just listening to you. You made me feel better. Now, everybody can fi- they, they can see Trials to Triumph now. It's on all the digital platforms. And they can, f- for more information on the film, on all the social channels, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, your Trials to Triumph. People can follow about the film there. They can follow you. And are you doing speaking engagements for organizations at this point? Um, I had one plan for a lot of things I shut down this month. I had one plan for later this month, but I, now the doctors moved up the, the baby's due date, and I don't want to even play around with it. No. So, <laughs> you know, this month, obviously, yeah, I've, I've shut everything down. But after this month, we plan on ramping everything back up. Oh, my gosh. Well, everybody can find out more about Trials to Triumph online. You're on Twitter. You're on Instagram. You're everywhere. Freddie, this has been such a joy to get to speak with you today. I can't thank you enough. I appreciate you. I appreciate you having me. I appreciate you taking the time out of your busy schedule to check out our film. And I just wish you, you blessings with, with your platform. I'm going to, definitely going to support um, everything that you're doing, I appreciate. Like I said, I appreciate you just taking the time out to to support support what we're doing. Oh, Freddie, my pleasure. And I hope you'll come back on the show again in the future when you've got more projects be- besides two little girls going on. No doubt, no doubt. We're, we're locked. We're locked in now. So um, let's make sure we keep in touch. Absolutely, Freddie. Thank you so much. And you have a fantastic rest of your week. Thank you, too. Thanks, Freddie. Bye-bye. And that was Freddie Stevenson, former Chicago Bears player, now motivational author, documentarian. I am going to order the book. I love the documentary so much. I now want to read his book, um, which I'll be ordering when I get home today, as a matter of fact. Um, But, you won't, you will not be disappointed. See the documentary, Trials to Triumph. It is on all the digital platforms. You know what they are. Uh, and hopefully you'll glean some heart and wisdom and inspiration from the doc and from the book. So that is all the time we have today. I'm so thrilled to have had Freddie on the show and thrilled that. You guys got to hear my interview with Bill Holderman and Aaron Sims on Book Club, the next chapter in theaters on Friday. Go see it. Easy, breezy, fun. So until next week, I'm Debbie Elias. This is Behind the Lens. (laughs) 